I'm wondering if you could just conclude by answering the question about your motivation and maybe some of your own family history in confronting hate and discrimination uh, in, in, in American history. Uh, yes, Senator. So, uh, you know, I come from a family where my grandparents fled anti-Semitism and persecution. The country took us in. protected us. And I feel an obligation to the country to pay back. And this is the highest, best use of my own set of skills to pay back. And so I want very much to be the kind of attorney general that you're saying I could become. Um, and I'll do my best to try and be that kind of attorney general. That was attorney general nominee Merrick Garland choking up about his grandparents' flight from Russia during friendly questioning from Democratic Senator Cory Booker. It was one of the few emotional moments during a day-long confirmation hearing in which Garland strongly affirmed that he will run a Justice Department free of any political influence and identified as his number one priority fighting the threat of domestic terrorism and right-wing extremism as exemplified by the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. Garland also seemed to diffuse, for the most part, politically sensitive questions from Republicans about the investigation into President Biden's son, Hunter, and the ongoing special counsel investigation by John Durham into the FBI's handling of the Russia investigation. We'll discuss Garland's confirmation and what we should expect when he gets to the Justice Department with two veteran DOJ watchers, former Senate Judiciary Committee Counsel Victoria Bassetti, now with the Brennan Center, and former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin, on this episode of Skullduggery. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. You know, a lot has been written and said about how different Garland is from his predecessor, Bill Barr, both of them smart uh, veterans. But Barr, it is pretty hard to imagine Barr getting emotional in a confirmation hearing at all, much less to a question about his, uh, about his family's background. But I think, uh, you know, listening to Garland, it only underscores even more what a dramatic change it is to go from a Bill Barr to a Merrick Garland, who is at the end of the day, in the Jewish saying, a mensch. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let me uh, just say one thing about uh, that struck me about Merrick Garland getting emotional at this confirmation hearing. And I think all of us probably saw him. I remember when he was nominated by President Obama to be on the Supreme Court when he was introduced, he got emotional and welled up as well. I think when he was talking about his his mother and father at the time, he did again. His voice cracked when he was uh, nominated by Joe Biden, and and then and then today. 
But the thing it made me think about is, you know, we've known him for a long time. Um, he is a mensch. He does have that that emotional side to him. I remember talking to him um, in uh, 1995 uh, during the Oklahoma City bombing case, which of course uh, was the kind of formative uh, experience of his of his career, and which came up a lot today, and uh, which which we yeah. which we will get into. Yeah, and you know, if you'll recall, I mean, I remember seeing the. You know the the basically the the command center uh, for that investigation, which Merrick Garland was quarterbacking, was in the middle of the crime scene. The Murrow Building was was right there, was still smoking uh, when he uh, got down there. And nineteen children were killed in that bombing. Fifteen of them, I think, in a daycare center there. And I remember Merrick Garland being just incredibly moved by that that gut wrenching. Um, massacre of of children but he had this ability to both see the humanity um, in the cases that he was involved with but also be incredibly dispassionate about the legal work that had to be done to make sure that the investigation was done properly and I remember always thinking about that with him and I think um, you know we'll see that with him as 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 attorney general but uh, it just came to mind today during that hearing but I'd love yeah. to hear the thoughts of uh yeah well our let's guests. bring in our our guests um uh Victoria Bassetti Victoria welcome to Skullduggery thanks for having me and Michael Zeldin welcome back to Skullduggery always a pleasure so uh, I want to get um, the take of uh, both of you on um, how today went and what you made of um, of Garland's responses and also the questioning. Um, Victoria, why don't you start? Well, I, I, I should confess that Merrick Garland pretty much had me at prosecute white supremacists. So um, <laughs> That's all he needed to say. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, um, I, you know, I, I, to, to go to your point, I thought he had um, that uh, unique combination of that, his genial kind of low-key affect combined with um, just a, an absolute uh, clear kind of ringing sense of integrity and intelligence. Uh, he did, uh, you know, battle with a variety of questioners incredibly effectively. Um, but that doesn't mean that the Republicans weren't trying to, you know, kind of take something off of him or maybe even possibly figure out a way that they could justify voting against him. Um, I think they were clearly towards the end searching around for a way to find him being a little weaselly in his answers. And they were really focusing a lot on the Durham investigation at the end in my book and f trying to find some sort of dissatisfaction in the way he was answering whether or not he would continue those investigations. But leaving that aside, he was, uh, as you might expect for someone who's been a judge for over 20 years, an incredibly effective uh person on stage. Yeah. I want to get to um, how he handled the Republican questionings on uh, on Hunter Biden and Durham in a moment. But Michael, what leapt out at you? What left out at me was his breadth of understanding of how the Justice Department works. He, this is this will be his third tour in Maine Justice and a, a detour in the U.S. Attorney's Office. He knows how this organization works. He knows what each division's responsibilities are, what their mandate has been and, and, and will be. And I thought that stepping in on day one, this is a person who knows the institution that he's running perhaps better than any other 
uh, AG in, in recent memory, including Eric Holder, who was there himself for a long time, but not at the level that, that Merrick was working as a principal deputy attorney general under Janet Reno. The other thing that impressed me so much about Merrick is his knowledge of the law. And so when people would ask, what is your position on prosecuting this type of crime? His answer was, well, as you know, the Supreme Court said in this case that the governing standards are, and of course we are bound by that. And it completely diffuses the politics of the question when he says the Supreme Court is what directs our behavior here because this is a system of law. And I thought that he really, in, in, in many ways, was able to disarm the Republican questioners principally who were trying to challenge how he might apply the law. Victoria, you'll appreciate this as a former staff member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, was the Republicans, many of whom have impressive legal backgrounds, clerked on, on you know, for Supreme Court justices, argued appellate cases. They just didn't want to take him on on the law. I mean, uh, in any other setting, you could imagine a Josh Hawley or a Ted Cruz, uh, you know, quoting from Supreme Court cases and arguing the fine, fine points of the law. But they weren't going to do this. The furthest they went uh, was Ted Cruz saying, well, by the way, I argued that I think it was the Heller case uh, in front of the in front of the D.C. circuit. Uh, but that was just a I think a, a recognition of uh, they were outmatched there uh, in terms of legal issues. Well, so a couple of points on that. First of all, it looks like the Republicans are going to get their scalp on a Biden nominee with near attendance. So they've got one they could defeat, uh, and they probably don't need to go, you know, further than that. I also think there's a little bit of guilt somewhere deep seated um, with some of those Republicans. Uh, you heard that from Grassley right off the bat about the way uh, Merrick Garland was treated when he was nominated by Barack Obama to the Supreme Court and didn't even get a hearing. Uh, and Grassley went out of his way to uh, you know, make the point that that was not because of you or we had any problems with you. So I think that that also is a pass. But also on the one area where they could have you know, found grounds to go after him, the Durham investigation and Hunter Biden. The White House, you know, very shrewdly announced a week ago that the existing U.S. attorney in Delaware who's doing the Hunter Biden investigation, a Trump appointee, will continue in that post to complete the investigation and that Durham will remain as special counsel. And that gave Garland an out for uh, the questioning on that front. Well, I think I think overall I agree with you, but I, I would note that the Judiciary Committee Republican bench is full of uh, presidential aspirants. And presidential aspirants are looking for ways to uh, kind of keep making their point and to prove that they were wrong about uh, or, or that they were right about not confirming Merrick Garland whenever the case might come. And so I, I sort of definitely saw people like Cotton, Hawley, Cruz circling around, either figuring out a way to vote against him or at least to uh, say that they warned, they warned everyone that 
Merrick Garland wasn't going to be kind of the perfect attorney general. Um, so you could sort of see them circling around that, I thought, uh, especially towards the end when the questioning uh, became well, Bill Barr said unequivocally that he would continue to support and fund Mueller. Why won't you say the same about Durham? So they were they were kind of circling or trying to pick at that. I don't think they were terrifically successful for exactly the reasons that you say, Michael. They had uh, Biden already kind of and the, the White House saying that those two attorneys, U.S. attorneys, are going to stay in their positions. Um, you had Garland being incredibly savvy about the way he answered the questions. But I don't put it beyond some of the people on the Republican panel trying to figure out a way to continue kind of picking at the idea that the Department of Justice is over-politicized and that the Department of Justice is going to kind of pr continue to pursue grievances against conservatives. And by the way, Cruz, who went the furthest on that score, was like, the, you know, demanding a firm commitment that he will do nothing to interfere with uh, with the Durham investigation and and you know Garland's answer was you know look I want to meet with Durham as soon as I get there and find out what it's all about I all I know is what I've read in the newspapers but I have no reason to uh, question that 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 the decision already made by effectively the Biden Biden White House is the right one but Cruz like misstated what the Durham investigation is about right now Barr made it clear that it is is exclusively focused on FBI conduct growing out of the you know FISA process and other matters related to the launching of Crossfire Hurricane. And Cruz said this potentially implicates Joe Biden and Barack Obama. Well, Barr has already made it clear that no, it doesn't. But leave it to Ted Cruz to like totally misstate the facts. One other point about the uh, Barr Garland. Um, comparison in this context is that, remember, uh, Bill Barr had already written a 20-page memo. Uh, uh, which Durbin brought up, by right, the way. Right, which, uh, you know, unsolicited, which he right. sent to the, uh, <laughs> uh, which he sent to the Justice Department, basically. That's what does. Qu questioning, yeah, right. questioning the predicate for the Mueller investigation. <laughs> exactly. So, so there was a reason that he was questioned sharply about that and a reason he had to give the answer he did that he would commit to doing nothing to interfere with Mueller's probe. But can I just add, the thing that I liked most about Garland's answer in respect of those questions and others that came up similarly was he said, I don't make decisions unless I have all the facts. And I thought that was an incredibly strong way of saying, listen, I'm a judge for 24 years. I know how to analyze facts and law. And when I have all the facts and I have all the law, I make a decision. And if you're asking me, why am I not like my predecessors? One, I'm not going to answer that question, but I'm going to say, this is the manner in which decisions should be made, which is a, you know, a sort of a backdoor way of, I think, criticizing the predecessor, but I, I couldn't think of a better way to answer it and sort of disarm the questioner. And it also has the virtue of being genuine. That is who Merrick Garland is. We all know him and he is not a you know, shoot from the hip uh, uh, kind of figure. I mean, he is meticulous and careful. And, you know, it's going to frustrate 
supporters of the president sometimes as well because of that commitment to gathering the facts um, and being meticulous about the law and all those issues. Um, I'm curious from both of of you, we're talking sort of in generalities uh, about the kind of uh, nominee he's been, but in terms of priorities and the specific things that he talked about and came kind of back to over and over again, I wonder what struck uh, both of you. Michael, let's start with you and then Victoria. So obviously the white supremacist stuff was front and center in, in his testimony. And it wasn't limited to January 6th. It was as a national scourge and that he was going to make that a priority of his administration. But I think equally important was his emphasis on civil rights and the enforcement of civil rights and his defense of the team that has been built um, to, to tackle this issue. Remember, they went after two of the nominees by saying, They said things that were objectionable. And he said, I've spoken to these people. They are consummate professionals. They do not carry a measure of prejudice in their body, as you're implying. And they know much more than I do. And and that's important when you build a team around a specific issue that's a complex one. Same thing with Black Lives Matter types of things. He said, we have a team here. We're going to work collectively using our you know, collective experiences, and we're going to tackle these priorities. So I, I was very impressed with the, not only the topics that he selected for his first priorities, but the fact that he said, I'm going to rely on the experts that are the part of the DOJ team. This is not the Merrick Garland show. This is the DOJ in all of its component parts. Yeah, a kind of humility uh, that he showed that you don't always see. Uh, Victoria, what about you? Well, so I, I would actually echo, I, I don't have that much different to say than, than Michael, to, to be perfectly honest. I, I really do think that the civil rights issues that he emphasized, um, his answers on defunding police were, I think, particularly uh, interesting uh, uh, and, and, and dealing with kind of mass incarceration issues, um, how he uh, had clearly indicated ongoing support for police and law enforcement, but pivoted, I thought, quite successfully to discussing other ways that the Department of Justice can be helpful in kind of taking the, the you know, kind of the poison out of much of the dialogue that we have today about over-policing of, you know, black and brown communities. Um, one other thing that did come up kind of consistently leaving aside some of the hot button political issues was antitrust. Um, and you, you did see a kind of a, a, a through line of questioning on that and various senators attempting to kind of ask questions about the Google investigation, to ask questions about concentration. And to a certain degree right now, Garland is hobbled by the fact that there's no nominee for the AAG for antitrust. Um, so I, I think that's a kind of a TBD part of his agenda and, and a pretty important one that we still are going to have to wait and see what's going to happen. So I did think that there was one stumble towards the end that could give a few Republicans a hook to oppose his nomination on. And it's when Hawley, that great legal mind, um, asked him about prosecuting people who cross the border illegally. Do you believe that illegal entry at America's border should remain a crime? 
Well, I haven't thought about uh, that question. Uh, uh, I just haven't thought about that question. I, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the president has uh, made clear that we are a country of, uh, with the borders and with the concern about national security. Um, I don't know of a proposal to uh, decriminalize but still make it uh, unlawful to enter. I just don't know the answer to that question. I haven't thought about it. Victoria, what'd you make of that response? It wasn't the best answer, was it? No, uh, it the, wasn't. The short answer is it is a it is a crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a crime. And for, you know, Republicans who decry the, you know, Democrats for secretly favoring open borders um, and not always not so secretly, sometimes, you know, pretty openly, I, you know, I would have thought he would have thought about an answer to that question. Well, I also, I also would have thought that his confirmation team uh, would have prepared him for a question like that. It seems yeah. to me that it's a fairly obvious one. But you know, we're sitting here in the cheap seats, so I guess that's well. I mean, you look. He did. He did say that uh, the the president has made clear that we're a nation with borders. So I think it's it's pretty clear that he's he's not embracing any sort of like open borders approach to. Uh, well, if you but if you're not going to prosecute people who violate the law and enter the country illegally, isn't that effectively open borders? Well, I, I, you know, I, it's, I, I guess it's all to a certain degree a, an issue of priorities, uh, whether or not you criminally prosecute every single person who crosses the border without papers and throw them in prison versus whether or not you focus on a select group of, of people. Uh, so it's all about priorities. And I think that would have probably been a more effective answer than, than the kind of the, the little bit of a, of a word salad that he kind of managed to let out in answer to that question. I'm sure he'll rehabilitate himself. I'm sure <laughs> his, uh, the people who are prepping him uh, are, are, are talking to him right now about how to fix that answer. By the way, he did use the limited resources uh, uh, response when he got asked by uh, Cory Booker in a different round about marijuana enforcement right. and whether they, the DOJ under a Garland Justice Department will prosecute um, uh, marijuana um, uh, violators in states where it's already legal, which is fast becoming a, a, a majority of the country, given California, it's, it's it's all legal. And, you know, what Garland said is it, it does not seem to me to be a useful use of limited resources to be pursuing prosecutions in states that have legalized. It's not quite a uh, advocating a full legalization. <laughs> He's not there yet, but I don't think Biden uh, is quite there yet, but th that would have been a better formulation in response to um, Hawley's uh, question. Uh, do you think it's this is going to cost them some Republican votes, Michael? Well, you know, people who have made up their mind beforehand uh, will continue to have made up their mind beforehand. And no matter what he says, they're going to vote in what they think is their political best interests. But if if an answer to the question of should illegal entry be a crime, when the answer to that is, well, that's not really a good question because some people enter illegally and then immediately apply for asylum. And are we saying that those people should be criminally um, treated as a matter of first instance? There are questions and there are questions. And I think that was a bad question. He didn't give a great answer, but I think it surprised him a little bit to have it be put so boldly when it's a much more nuanced 
legal answer about what is it, what is a cross-border entry that is criminal versus not criminal. But as I said at the outset, if they want to vote against him for political reasons, you know, they can find any number of tidbit sort of answers. I mean, I, I thought that was the, that's, that's the closest that I, I think they could come to finding something to hang their hat on. I mean, maybe because he didn't go as far as Ted Cruz wanted him to go in committing to, you know, let Durham continue as long as Durham wants to, you know, maybe there, but, but I, I thought this one was closer. And by the way, yes, there are asylum seekers, but they're also just people who cross the border illegally in order to get into the country. Right. Right. But, but it, it sort of would remind me of the, the, the culminating scene in my cousin Vinny, when she says, that's a BS question. And, yeah. and she goes on to explain why nobody can answer that question because they didn't make that type of call. And I think that this was sort of a, a BS question. And if they want to hang their hats on that, you know, for whatever political agendas they have, Fair enough, but but it's not a substantive basis by which to deny Merrick Garland their vote of confirmation. There was uh, another moment in the hearing that um, I uh, appreciated, uh, even though um, it may have like flown by <laughs> most people, and that's when uh, Senator Ossoff, the new Democratic senator from Georgia, started asking him about what he was going to do about the appalling conditions, that was Ossoff's uh, phrase, in the Fulton County Jail. And then uh, he even read, Ossoff even read a whole uh, passage from a brief outlining just how disgraceful the conditions are in Fulton County Jail. And it did remind me that among the uh, problems that our former president has is an active investigation uh, by the Fulton County prosecutor into his efforts to overturn the results of the election. And it occurred to me that um, uh, Donald Trump could wind up in that Fulton (laughs) County Jail. That uh, Ossoff was talking Might about. Might be a little premature, but you never know. Uh, well, never know. I, yeah. Well, look, this it's 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 worth talking about this today because we also got the Supreme Court's uh, ruling saying yes, um, Cyrus Vance in New York can get Trump's tax returns for his investigation into Trump's finances. So um, it's just a reminder, uh, as we all await Trump's reappearance on the political scene this weekend uh, at the CPAC convention, that the guy is facing quite a few legal investigations that could um, be quite problematic. Yeah. There was one other thing that I wanted to mention that this, again, this is in the category of of items that... Uh, you know, most people may not have really paid attention to, but near and dear to yours in my hearts, and I think a lot of other Skullduggery listeners, uh, which is, uh, I think he was asked by Amy Klobuchar, whose father was a reporter, and she always asks Justice Department nominees about their attitude toward the press. Uh, He was asked about whether uh, the Justice Department and he as Attorney General would embrace the uh, Attorney General uh, guidelines uh basically it's it's you know whether the attorney general would have to sign off before a reporter could be subpoenaed and his answer was there was no hesitation it was just a flat out unhesitating endorsement of of those guidelines and talked about his strong belief in transparency Look, I think it might get comp- – sometimes it gets complicated. I mean there are leak investigations involving national security information that involve 
crimes or uh, criminal uh, statutes. But I also know from having covered Merrick Garland um, for decades now uh, that he actually does uh, believe in these principles. And the one little kind of anecdote that reminds me of this is that when I was a young reporter at uh, a uh, newspaper that we've talked occasionally on this podcast. Legal Times. Legal Times of blessed memory. Um, Heard it a million times. You know, I covered the Justice Department. Well, I was, you know, it was embarrassing to your editors when this trade paper would scoop you on the Justice Department beat from from time to time. That's why I'm noting the little bit of bitterness My response was nobody reads Legal Times, so you don't have to worry. But anyway, let me just get back to this story is is that – I would call my, you know, call various Justice Department officials on a daily basis. And he had, he occupied the most important staff position at the Justice Department as the Associate Deputy Attorney General, basically Jamie Gorelick's, uh, the Deputy Attorney General's top staffer. Um, and so I would always call. Uh, and he would, he was not a leaker. He would n- never tell me anything that he wasn't supposed to tell me, but he always called back. Uh, and he had this list of, of, and it wasn't just me, it was every reporter. And sometimes the call would come at nine o'clock at night, uh, because it was maybe the last thing he would do, but he would never leave the office without calling back and helping as much as he could. And I think, I know it's a corny story, Isakoff. I can see the expression on your face, yeah, yeah. but I do think it, I, I do think there is a commitment there to being transparent. And I think he likes, uh, what we do in our business. I, I think that's true. But the one thing I would say, Danny, is that, you know, the, the requirement that the AG sign off on subpoenas against reporters was in place during the when Holder was attorney general. Yeah, I was, was just going to bring when, that up. The last Democratic administration was not very good on this the, issue. The, the question yeah. is not whether or not the attorney general is reviewing the subpoenas. It's what kind of attitude the attorney general brings w- during that review. And I well, think they did, well, because of all the controversy in the Obama administration, because they launched nine separate, whatever it was, more Espionage, more, yeah. more yeah. investigations, leak investigations, yeah. leak investigations yeah. than, yeah. than all number previous, of previous administrations, administrations combined. That became a huge controversy. And so then those guidelines under Eric Holder were significantly strengthened. And the Trump administration didn't formally withdraw them, but I think they were not as committed to them. And so I agree. And I think that, um, as I said before, uh, that, you know, it's, it's easy to make these proclamations. Um, and, you know, once he's faced with a, a leak investigation where he's got the DNI and the CIA director and everybody else hammering, international, yeah. hammering about it. That's a lot. That's that's a lot of pressure to withstand. And it'll be an interesting test. It'll it'll be an interesting test if he's got a Snowden or or a, a Chelsea Manning or that type of um, case. But I think that he is not inclined to do run-of-the-mill leaks investigations in the with the same sort of criminal fervor that we saw um, in the Obama administration, which is one of the, you know, marks against Obama that, that to me is always inexplicable. By the way, my my hunch is that one of the things Durham is doing is, is leaks, and uh, that's where it's going to get really uh, dicey. Because uh, Durham could come back with uh, wanting to prosecute some leakers, uh, which then you know could set 
DOJ down the road of looking at reporters, phone records, and all those issues that came up under Holder. But um, can we um, uh, just go back to talking about Donald Trump for a moment? I kind of miss because we haven't we haven't done of, enough of that. The in the relative last four years. absence of Trump. Uh, I mentioned the Supreme Court uh, decision uh, giving the green light for Vance to get the um, uh, to get the uh, tax returns, uh, and so. Uh, Trump has just put out a statement responding to that, uh, talking about it. The headline is statement on the continuing political persecution of President Donald Trump. And one thing that leapt out at me, Trump goes through all the, you know, all the witch hunts he's been through on Russia and the crazy Nancy inspired impeachments and uh, all that. And then he goes on to say, these are attacks by Democrats willing to do anything to stop the almost 75 million people, the most votes by far ever gotten by a sitting president, who voted for me in the election, an election which many people and experts feel that I won. I agree, exclamation point. So there we are, (laughs) still with (laughs) the big lie about the stolen election being pushed by Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's gonna that's gonna work either in the tombs or the Fulton County Jail. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Those I don't think anyone's gonna pay much attention to that yeah. in, in either of those places. So um, he does face genuine peril in both of those, uh, you know, investigations. Yeah. Um, uh, the uh, the and, and we, we've been talking about that for for a while. How um, how real? is the Cy Vance investigation. How much genuine peril does Trump face either personally or how much does he face as a, if from if vis-a-vis his business interests? I, I would say his business interests are, are greater, it, more threatened by Cy Vance's investigation. In other words, I don't think Trump is going to personally end up in the tombs, but I think he may, uh, I think he may see some, some pretty heavy fines. Why, why, why do you say, why do you say that, uh, Victoria? Um, if, the, the particularly Cy Vance's investigation, there have been a couple of developments um, that I think have gotten a lot of people thinking that this is actually a very aggressive, very serious investigation. There was uh, Cy Vance hired this outside prosecutor, uh, Mark Pomerantz, I think his name is, uh, veteran of the Southern District of New York, lots of experience doing these kind of complicated white collar cases. The Wall Street Journal reported um, the hiring of a forensics investigations uh, firm called FTI Consulting, I think, which really knows how to look at the books. Now they've gonna, they're going to have his uh, tax returns, many years of, of his tax returns. It strikes me that um, you know once uh, really uh, talented prosecutors get the opportunity to really muck around in in um, both his personal uh, finances and his uh, and his businesses, um, there's a pretty good chance they're going to find something. I guess you're saying simply that uh, the the that the company is more exposed than Trump. Yeah. And well, why. let's let's bring Michael into this because he's the financial money laundering expert who knows this area of the law better than anybody. Well, so my thought is that this is probably more institutional than than individual in in the focus of of Vance FTI is a is a is a good firm and um, they'll understand whether there were false representations made in respect of valuation of property and a different um, 
evaluation of property for tax purposes, uh, which I think is sort of what we hear in the media as the as the heart of the of the matter. And so there may well be business crimes um, cases to be made um, off of off of these documents. But to prove the an individual responsible, look back to the Wall Street. Um, collapse in 2008 and the prosecutions that derived from it. How many individuals were prosecuted in, in that case? None, uh, because it's it's very hard to prove the the relationship of the individual to the acts of the of the company. Now this is different because it's a privately held. Yeah, company. I mean he family. is the company for. No, all I understand that. So I'm, I'm acknowledging that that difference. All I'm saying. Michael, is that we don't know. We have to wait and see. But as I look at what has been asked for and what I read in the in the media, it looks to me to be as much a corporate investigation as it does an individual in investigation. Right. And the problems, the, the problems that I see with that one is, you know, you need a paper trail, you need emails and Trump doesn't do emails or you need, uh, preferably you want to have both, um, a, the insider witness who can say, I told Mr. Trump that you, that this property was only worth X and he insisted we put down Y anyway for tax purposes or whatever. And other than Michael Cohen, who is a convicted perjurer, we don't know that Vance has such a witness. Which is why I say it's 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 more likely a corporate responsibility case than individual responsibility case, unless you know someone in the corporation um, says just as as you said. But the paper itself uh, in a corporate case doesn't require an individual if the if the representations about the value of the property are so different so disparate that it's apparent on the paper that there was misrepresentations made between banks and tax deductions and you don't necessarily need an insight what about the $800,000 in consulting fees to Ivanka while she was a, a official of the of the company she's getting paid for by, as a, as as an employee of the company and she's getting these hundreds of thousands of dollars in consulting fees. Yeah, I, I don't know what the the rules of of the company are. It doesn't look kosher. Um but I don't know that it's necessarily criminal. Uh what 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 criminal law does it necessarily um implicate if she's an employee but also has a consulting relationship with the company? It depends on the nature of the employment contract, it would seem to me. So maybe, Michael, mm-hmm. there are lots of things there that, you know, have some level of smoke, but I, I don't know that it really yet is knowable whether it rises to the level of uh, individual criminal responsibility. Which is why I actually do think that the Fulton County investigation by Fannie Willis is a bigger threat to Trump because you put the totality of not just the tape phone call with Raffensperger, but all the other efforts he and his people were making to try to get the pressure of the Georgia people to overturn uh, the results of the election. It seems to me you put that together with a Fulton County prosecutor, a Fulton County grand jury, and a Fulton County jury. And if I were Trump, I'd be nervous. Merrick Garland is probably uh, heaving a big sigh of relief that he didn't have to ask questions, answer questions about either Fulton County or 
Spy Vance's <laughs> investigations today. <laughs> right. Well, he would have had an easy dodge. Not my job. Yeah. Not, my, right. not my jurisdiction. The question yeah. is, is he going to be able to dodge skullduggery? Is he going to come right. on the podcast? Yeah. We will be all over him for that. Uh, anyway. One, the one topic that we didn't talk about, which I thought he did a very nice job on, was making sure it was known that Antifa and Proud Boys, sort of white nationalists, were not equivalent. And the activities that took place in Portland, um, to, where they did property damage to courts in the evening, was not equivalent to trying to shut down the uh, ongoing work of, of the government. And I thought he made a very nice distinction, saying they're both crimes, but they're not equivalent crimes. One is domestic terrorism, and one is just property damage. And I like I like that. But anyway, all this is going to give us plenty to talk about in skullduggery in the future, even as we want to do uh, give our current president um, all the uh, uh, time and attention and uh, scrutiny that he deserves. Uh, either way, uh, we will definitely want to have both of you back. So I want to thank you both. My pleasure. Thank you.